This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I did not get an email with this week's um, episode number, so I am completely lost as we open up this episode number blank, blank, blank of the Show Before the Show podcast. What is going on, Sam? I mean, you could have asked before we went on air. Like, we have this whole no, absolutely not thing where we talk. We have a system. It's not like a light comes on. And the whole system is breaking down. Well, this is what happens in the off season. You know, the <laughs> new just, rules. Everything falls apart. Yeah. <laughs> Yesterday was the AAA national championship game. Everything falls apart starting today. I think it's. I think it's worthwhile. I mean, we're already off to a rolling start, <laughs> as always. I don't know. This actually is no different. The fact that you're no, right. no, exactly. This is like basically the exact way that we start every week's episode of the show before the show podcast. And with that, we welcome you into this week's edition, the 128th of the show before the show podcast. I am Tyler Mons. Sam Dykstra is in New York City, and we are joined for the opening segment of this week's show by one Kelsey Hennigan, who is with Sam in New York. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Tyler. And... By one Josh Jackson who joins us via satellite, or however cell phones work, from Los Angeles, California. Hi, Josh. Hi. Actually, this is a desk phone, so I, I will. I will <laughs> oh, that's you right. Up on that right. Dang right it! Now. You have the you have the office phone. I forgot about well, that. Well, now that we're all introduced, I, I actually <laughs> want to bring us to the the first piece of business before we get to what we're actually going to talk about today. I gathered us all here today because I think we need an intervention for you. Oh Tyler. no! Oh no! Yeah. Oh, no. You have Does this have to do with Sam Ben earlier today saying that I tweet too emotionally? Does that have to do no, with that? No, this, this, is, this is about your hat problem. Oh, right, 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 picture right, 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 right. today. I don't – did you count how many hats you have? No, no, um, no. Like, do you no. have one from every level? Oh, yeah. Oh, he's One from, like, every MLB team, like an affiliate um, of every That team. I actually don't – I don't believe I do – um, as a matter of fact, I think there are several that I don't like off the top of my head. I know I don't have, I don't have an angels affiliate. I know that. Um, is, ooh, is man, this your defense? Are... Is that you, you haven't, <laughs> I just don't have yet, an angels. So you don't really have, don't that have an angels affiliate. Problem, so. Um, okay. Here's the thing. It looks worse in that photo than it is in real life because that's what they all say, Tyler in, the, <laughs> in, in that photo. Um, it, I, it also includes all of my like adjustable hats and I don't wear those. Nobody wears those at all. It doesn't count as part of a hat collection? I mean, I guess it sort of does, but you know, this is more like, uh, it's just, it's my, my new era fitted 5950 on field cap collection. That's the thing I'm proud of. And also the thing like, that's like, you know, a good amount of money Holy that I've cow, wasted. Holy I just life. saw this tweet. <laughs> That, yeah, you it's... need um, you need to open like a store. Well, and that need. was the very first reply to this was by a buddy of mine, Aaron, and he responded, "quote That is one fancy lids location," which is pretty much right. pretty much what it feels like. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's, uh, I was always into hats. Like, when I was a kid, I, I always wore hats. But then when I got into the minors, this is kind of a cool thing that I did not know existed in minor league baseball. And people who still work in minor league front offices back me up on this if this still happens. But minor league front office employees will do hat trades. So, like, I remember being contacted by somebody with Rancho Cucamonga. When I was working in Myrtle Beach, they wanted a Pelicans hat. They asked if I wanted a Quakes hat. I said, absolutely. So we swapped hats. So that's kind of like a cool, it's like, you know, people go to trade shows. They like swap pins or whatever you do. People with real jobs. Curve and the Myrtle Beach Pelicans just have dozens of hats missing because you just traded them without permission. Um, (laughs) No, I mean, like I paid for them. Because it's minor league baseball. They weren't giving them away, obviously. Okay. Um, so, you know, I it's, it's, it's money, so it's money well spent out of my paycheck so right like back in the team. three quarters of your salary for the last Exactly. Decade, oh, uh, yeah. Is in this picture. Easily. No, that's the thing. Like, when I look at that, I'm like, man, my student loans would have been paid off a long time ago if I could add all of this money back. It's, um, yeah, no, like, when you look at it, I definitely see why it comes across as a problem. <laughs> that I certainly that's, that's all we needed you to understand so anyway at least uh at least now i know um you know and it's blocking like one of the columns you can't even see all the rockies hats under there being a, a denver guy so it's you know it's an issue it's not something i'm proud of okay well, why did you tweet it if you're not proud no of i am it? i'm actually very proud of it and that's okay. why i tagged that <laughs> that's why i tagged that guy shaka brody and that's benjamin christensen who was a former um mlb fan cave dweller and he has, you think my collection is something, Ben has, like, literally 2,000 hats or something insane like that. Um, so, like, mine looks bad. Uh, it's it's really not. It's really not. But the the way they're all hung up, that was, he pioneered that. I found it on YouTube, the way that he hangs up his hats, and that's how I do it. My God, this okay. is the least entertaining, the least entertaining thing. Like, how should I display my hat? I absolutely did. I absolutely did. Your version of Pinterest, probably. Exactly. Yeah. You know. <laughs> You gotta, everybody's gotta have something. And, uh, I just never seem to leave the industry of minor league baseball with all my things. It's just a hat collection and doing this and talking to you clowns. It's great. <laughs> I feel like we need new intro music then. And we need the Barman and Bailey's like <laughs> theme. If it were just, no, <laughs> I like no it. Clown. Yeah, no, no clown. I like it. Um, well, man, we are off the rails to get this one started. Episode number 128. No, the reason why. We have uh, Josh and Kelsey with us as we have come to the end of the 2017 season. Last night, Kelsey and Sam in attendance in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, which is not actually in either one of those cities. It's in Moose. How do you say that town? Moosick. Moosick. Moosick, Pennsylvania, the home of the scranton Wilkesbury Rail Riders and the site of the 2017 Gildan AAA National Championship game, which was a title captured by the Durham Bulls, who knocked off the Memphis Redbirds. A um, little bit of a humble brag. Sam and I both picked that game correctly. Um, but tell us about last night, guys, because what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about that. Um, a little bit of a wrap up of 2017, but we're going to revisit our predictions from our opening day episode all the way back in April, which featured the four of us. So tell us about last night, the, uh, the title for Durham come from behind win. they get the big grand slam, um, fun game. I mean, it was a really entertaining game to watch. What was it like to be there? Uh, well, first of all, Alvin, Alan Iverson and Reggie Jackson throughout the first pitch among others. So that was pretty cool. The Trenton bad dogs were there. Apparently we didn't see them, unfortunately, but they were there. Uh, so that was cool. And then once the game finally started, uh, it was pretty much pitching for the most part. There was a few runs early, but then Key and Wong had that grand slam to put him a triple shot of the cycle. Uh, and then from there, he just kind of became the star. 
he made a couple of defensive gems, and so it was no doubt that he was going to be the MVP. Uh, and then after the game, we got to watch their celebration just outside the clubhouse, and that was pretty cool. Uh, Brent Honeywell led the celebration. It seemed like he was right in the middle of it. They're all spraying champagne. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. yeah he, that he, Brent Honeywell was in the middle of the celebration. Right, yeah. After pitching uh, pretty well in relief, I think two and a third scoreless innings. Yeah. Uh, so he did pretty well. And then so we're watching the celebration. Chipotle is on hand, ready for that. And I got hit by a cork, uh, but I'm okay. I'm not hitting the deal. Yeah, but, where did yeah. this? Where did the, explain the cork moment? Because you tweeted about that, so obviously proud of it. What? Uh, what <laughs> happened? Yes, yes. Tom. What happened with the cork? Admit it. Uh, so we were just watching. I don't even know who launched it. What happened? I don't so know, it, it was just, like straight out of the bottle. It wasn't like somebody picked up a cork and well, tossed so, it. And it so hit here's you. the thing. It it hit my shin. So I don't know exactly where they were okay. pointing. They must maybe they were pointing down when they were pushing it open. Um, but yeah, it came flying across. It was a crowded room, but it came flying right at me. And Sam and I both looked at each other, and it kind of flew back after hitting my shin. Like the ricochet went pretty far. We need to find um, the Zapruder film. Yeah, there's got to be a video. Just analyze the direction and the angle. Yeah, and the... Uh, yeah. it, it definitely might... wasn't back into the left though. We were looking forward. Okay. I mean, there there might have been a second cork popper. I don't know. Um. On the on the green carpet in the hallway, yeah. Um, okay, well, it, I mean, you're fine. That's the biggest thing, I guess, is you're not going to miss any time on the DL. Um, but I mean, that was a really good matchup. I mean, so oftentimes you go into those games, you're not really sure what to get. These teams haven't seen each other, all that type of stuff. But it turned into a really good game. Memphis leads early. Durham comes back and then Durham hangs on through those last few innings. Um, the atmosphere in that clubhouse post game, it's such a different um, feeling for those guys because you're playing really like this extra level. It's like you've already beaten the boss in a video game and now you've got like this extra level at the end of it that you get a chance to also win. So it's different, like winning the International League for Durham and winning the PCL for Memphis. That's kind of what you play for all year. And then you get this cool last step. So that's icing on the cake for Durham, I would have imagined. Was that kind of the impression that you guys got? Yeah. You'll hear this actually in in the interview that we t- uh, that I had for the podcast this week with Jake Bowers. I talked to him before the game. Um, so what you guys are going to hear later in today's episode, just know that that comes beforehand. Um, if he doesn't sound too, too excited, it's because he hasn't won the game yet. Um, but we, I asked him about it, you know, how do you kind of treat a one game playoff like this? It, it doesn't normally happen in baseball. It, it happens more now, obviously with the wild card. Um, but for him, it, it's kind of just like an all-star game. It's an exhibition. If you win it, it's a lot of fun. If not, you know, you've already got a, a trophy you're taking home. Uh, for the Durham Bulls, it was the Governor's Cup that they actually had in the the locker room with them. They hadn't left the Scranton area after clinching the IL title. They just stayed around uh, until that game. They beat the Rail Riders in the Governor's Cup final. So they they were. This was just like a continuing train of of um, good times in Scranton for Durham. But um, yeah, no, it, uh, you could kind of sense the way the game was going about. Ryan Yarbrough was pulled uh, really early. Uh, Dakota Hudson didn't really go that deep into his outing. Uh, you know, both managers, Stubby Clapp and um, Jared Sandberg, um, you know, were, they they weren't going to give guys long leashes. You know, you only have one game left. Guys in the bullpen, you have tons of them to use. Might as well get the most out of them. That's how you end up with Brent Honeywell coming out of the bullpen. You know, probably the best pitcher for either side. Um, you know, they didn't get let him get the start. I think he was... Uh, the Durham pitcher of the year this year, or Ryan Yarborough was the Durham pitcher of the year, so they wanted to reward him with the start. But 
being able to bring in Honeywell, eat up as many innings as he had or as he did um, was certainly special. And uh, yeah, to, to, to see it treated as kind of a special game and not just like, oh, this is something extra we have at the end. Um, but to see, you know, the emotion involved in the end and talking to some of the guys beforehand, how much fun they were having just being there uh, was pretty neat. Very cool stuff. And uh, Josh, did you watch on TV? We'll bring you into this conversation. Who, me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did last night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, figured that we had to have a way to bring you in. Sure. Yes. <laughs> I enjoy <laughs> I watched that game. That was, a, that was a nice game of baseball to uh, wrap up the season. I don't really have anything to add okay. over That's you enough. know the people who were there working uh, yeah. working it, but uh, – yeah, but you were a witness. <laughs> true, you were working. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, congratulations to uh, to the Durham Bulls and uh, to the Memphis Redbirds as well for a, a great season. Um, but to the Durham Bulls, congratulations. And to friend of the podcast, Jared Sandberg, who was the first ever guest that we had on the show before the show, all the way back in the Jake Siner era. Rest in peace, Jake. That was episode number two of the show before the show podcast. You can go find that, by the way, at MILB.com slash podcast. So uh, with that behind us, the 2017 season has concluded. We're going to look back on this year. Sam, give us kind of a, a breakdown of our conversation. You actually went back and listened to our conversation from April. So what were your takeaways from that? What are we going to be discussing tonight? And yeah, I say so tonight because we're recording at night, which is such a rarity for us, and it just slipped out. I'm sorry. I know, yeah. This, is, <laughs> this feels like an after-hours podcast for us. Yeah, it's really, like we all need like a, a snifter of brandy. Else. Yeah. It's like the smooth jazz edition. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we brought you on for, Josh. Um, yeah, so the way we did this, it was actually episode 104 to give you guys an idea. I mean, obviously, it was before opening day. is our last podcast before opening day. We had Ian Happ on. Um, I, I think the transition we used to go into the Ian Happ interview was that maybe he could be the number one overall prospect in the game entering 2018. Um, obviously, that feels so long ago. He, he moved up to the Cubs rare. Yeah, very early in the season and then graduated uh, from Prospectum, uh, you know, not long after. Um, so Ian Happ doesn't feel like he's been on our radar in a long time, but he was our interview uh, for that podcast. What we did was we just kind of had a round table. We went around. We did. We said what we thought was going to be the most interesting lineup, most interesting pitching staff, most interesting overall team, uh, who we thought the breakout prospect of the year would be. Um who we thought would win the Bauman Home Run Award this year, who would be the American League and National League Rookies of the Year, and who we expected to be the top prospect entering 2018. Um, you know that that category we'll get to in a little bit. That obviously isn't settled. We won't know that answer until you know just before opening day in 2018. But all these other ones, we at least have an idea, if not a, like a solid answer, um, on you know how our predictions kind of came out. Um, what went right, what went wrong. Uh, try, we'll try to remember what we were thinking at the time and what has changed since. Um, uh, overall, I think we did fairly well. I think certain, you know, certain picks certainly look better than others. Um, but, you know, that we figured if we were going to make predictions at the beginning of the year, we might as well return to them now that we're here at the end of the year. I like it. Well, let's get started. Um, our first topic was the most interesting uh, lineup, the best lineup going into the 2017 season. So that was out of the gate on opening day, the lineup that we thought provided the most promise going into 2017. Give us a breakdown of who everybody took. Yeah, so I'll just go around the horn. Whoever wants to jump in first with 
uh, you know, whether how they feel like it kind of shook out can can jump in. Uh, Kelsey took Oklahoma City, uh, noting that they had Cody Bellinger, Alex Verdugo, and uh, Willie Calhoun. Um, I'll let her touch on that one. Plenty of thoughts in that. I took Lehigh Valley. Uh, Reese Hoskins and Dylan Cousins were obviously coming off big years in Reading. Uh, J.P. Crawford, you know, needed a bounce back here at Lehigh Valley. Nick Williams needed a bounce back here. Jorge Alfaro was starting out the year at the AAA level as well. Josh took Akron. Francisco Mejia obviously was one of the bigger stories of the 2016 season. Uh, he was being joined by Bobby Bradley there and also the speed demon that is Greg Allen. And Tyler, you chose New Hampshire, uh, the Fisher Cats, who were, you know, um, you know, they had a pretty good lineup going into the year with Anthony Alford and a couple of other big names as well. Uh, I'll let you touch on that more, but um, I guess we'll we'll start with Kelsey. How do you feel like that kind of worked out? Uh, well, not the best. I mean, if you look at overall numbers, OKC did not do that well uh, in the PCL. But, I mean, Bellinger did amazing. He likely could be the rookie of the year. He's in the mix. So he got called up earlier than I was thinking. Uh, Verdugo did very well in the Oklahoma City lineup, 314. And then, well, Willie Calhoun got traded and then got called up. Uh, so I, it was circumstantial, which I guess I should have thought about, but I still am happy with the hitters that were in that lineup. They just didn't stay there. <laughs> and uh, I guess for me, for Lehigh Valley, um, yeah, kind of kind of a similar thing. You know, Reese Hosk, um, now we think about him as this dominant major leaguer, had a really solid season, I think, at Lehigh Valley. Uh, Dylan Cousins... Still showed lots of power, but had tons of strikeouts like we kind of expected. Uh, you know, he it was much more of a speed bump this year for him than it was. J.P. Crawford, obviously tough first half, much better second half. Now he's with the Phillies uh, with Hoskins. Alfaro also made that jump. Um, so that, that – and what I did not predict was Scott Kingery having the breakout year that he did uh, joining that team. He's probably – you know, the second most exciting bat that's going to come out of Lehigh Valley when we look back at this this year uh, going forward. Did not see that one coming. So is it the most interesting lineup of the year? I don't know if I would quite put it that way. But, you know, the, there's still lots of interesting parts. Uh, Reese Hoskins would not be the slugger that he is right now in Philadelphia if not for his time at Lehigh Valley. Uh, J.B. Crawford, you know, taking off the way he did um, certainly was a fun storyline to follow. So, I'm not feeling terrible about that pick now, but maybe not necessarily the same way I did back in April. Josh, fire away. Yeah, I'll, I'll go from there. Um, I I don't feel terrible either. I uh, the the three guys on that Akron team that uh, that Sam mentioned, I think, are uh, had strong years and and were and a really exciting trio um, in a lineup. Uh, Bradley, I mean, he hit for power and, and actually cut down his strikeouts, although didn't maybe didn't get on base quite as much as I as I would have uh it would have been most optimistic for for him to do. Um but you know, Mejia and Allen you know, they each had uh, very good years there. and as a trio I, I think that those three are really exciting and really make for they can make almost any lineup really an electric and, and uh exciting thing to watch. Well, I went with New Hampshire, and I think I was a year early with New Hampshire. Um, New Hampshire didn't have a, a terrible year. That offense um, as a group was in the 
the latter third of the Eastern League. But they hit 255 as a team, not a super offensively friendly year. But it was really predicated on two guys, Anthony Alford, had a really good season. It was a, a very sporadic season. He spent 68 games uh, with New Hampshire, a 310 average, 406 on base percentage, 429 slugging percentage. Richard Urania on the other side, not a great year. He was the other guy who really kept an eye on. 247, 286, 359, his slash line. Um, Alford made his big league debut, dealt with injuries all year this year. So that was kind of a back and forth thing. Um, not a team that really blows you away when you look at the numbers, but when you look at 2018, uh, they could very well have Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette on that roster. So maybe I was just a year early. Yeah, that, that, let's go with that. That'll we'll be just, my thing. That'll be my excuse. Yeah, we'll just cut and paste what you said in April and just fill in yeah. the names. Yeah, I think it's That'll work. Time. That's fine. All right, so moving on to pit, best pitching staff. I'll, I'll try not to make everybody's previous arguments this time. Everybody can kind of clue into what they were thinking. Um, Kelsey, you had Durham. And Lord knows that worked out pretty well based on how we started the show. Uh, I had Mississippi. Uh, Josh and Tyler, you both had Charlotte, the Charlotte Knights, not the Charlotte Stone Crabs. Uh, so, Kelsey, tell us why you were pretty good dead on yeah. with picking the Durham Bulls. Uh, well, part of it was Jose De Leon, and then he didn't even factor into much because he was injured most of the year. Um, but Jacob Faria did pretty well, and then had a few stints in the race, but then they kept going with Schultz and um, Guerrero until he got injured. Um, and as you mentioned, Ryan Yarbrough, uh, he started the AAA National Championship. He was their pitcher of the year. And, of course, Honeywell eventually got called up, and he got the win last night. Uh, and Shea who also did pretty well and then got called up to the majors last night. So I am pretty happy with my prediction. Uh, Durham ended up leading the International League in strikeouts and was second in ERA, tied for first with whip. So yeah, this is uh, probably my best pick today of this group. And I will say, too, that, that Durham team actually set an IL record for strikeouts. Um, so uh, it helps better. to have, yeah, it helps to have Honeywell. I think Yarbrough led the IL in strikeouts. And also another name to watch, I don't think we've really discussed him yet this year, uh, was Yanni Chirinos, uh, who threw 141 innings in Durham, uh, posted a 2.74 ERA. Uh, we were talking to Jared Sandberg last night. He was saying he would have really liked to have used him, but he had thrown something like 180 innings between the playoffs and Montgomery and Durham this year. Um, so he was unavailable, but he'll be another one to watch from that team. So Ray's still stocked with pitching. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking about them again next year. Honeywell doesn't look like he's going to the majors anytime soon. Um, so he'll be back with them to begin the year, whether he wants that or not. We can discuss that another day. Uh, Mississippi was my pick. Um, you know, beginning of the year, um, I really like the Braves pitching. I still really like the Braves pitching for obvious reasons. Although, you know, a couple of their hitting prospects have jumped into the fray uh, there. But that that rotation I thought was going to be studded by Colby Allard and Mike Soroka. Certainly was. Uh, you know, Sor Allard just turned 20 on August 13th. Um, Soroka also started the year as a teenager. He turned 20 on August 4th. Uh, so these guys skipped a level. They were both at Class A Rome last year. They skipped Class A Advanced Florida, moving up to Double A Mississippi. Both certainly held their own. Um, I thought Allard was going to be the more dominant prospect based on everything you read about him and his stuff. But Soroka, I think, put up the better numbers, finished with a 2.75 ERA, uh, only 34 walks and 153 and two-thirds innings. The best thing about Allard, uh, solid numbers, you know, no doubt, 3.18 ERA. But he had been battling some injuries uh, particularly in his back uh, when he was drafted. I know they held him back. 
He threw 150 innings this year, so that's huge for him going forward. Um, they also had, you know, a couple other noticeable guys there. Max Freed uh, pitched there for a while. He finished the year in the majors. Luis Gohara made a brief stop there on his way to the majors as you're starting out at Class A Advanced Florida. Um, and Tuki Toussaint eventually ended up there and posted a, a much better uh, stat line, 3.18 ERA, than he enjoyed in the, even the Florida State League. Um, so, you know, we thought the Braves were stocked with pitching at the beginning of the year. We still kind of feel that way. Um, but the fact that these guys, you know, succeeded in the ways they did it at AA Mississippi, we're definitely going to be talking about them uh, making major league debuts next year, or in the case of Gohara, they've already done so. Josh, I'll let you tackle uh, Charlotte first. Josh and I both got a chance to get a look at a bunch of those guys in spring training this year, and we talked about that staff a lot. Um, what were you thinking about Charlotte coming into this year? I think we both I, – I might be wrong, but I think we were both um, kind of centering on the possibility of a 1-2-3 of Lopez, Giolito, and and Kopech, um, you know, with Co- the idea being Kopech maybe the the second half, he he only ended up getting three starts there, um, and Giolito, as good as he's been in the majors, he he his numbers weren't stellar uh, with uh, um, with Charlotte, and similar Lopez, uh, I mean. He had 131 strikeouts compared to 49 walks and, and a and a 220 average against. That's not that's not terrible. Um, but his, you know, 379 ERA I think is a, a little higher than um, than maybe we would have predicted. Um, uh, what, what do you think, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. I think, uh, you know, the command is certainly something that stands out about a guy. Even in Lucas Giolito's case, he walked 59. 128 and two thirds. Um, that number's a little high. He did strike out 134. You love to see that. Carson Fulmer really surprised me. His command issues this year. He started 25 games, and of course there was so much discussion coming into this year. Is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be a bullpen guy? He wanted to start. The White Sox want him to be a starter, so that was the road for him. But 25 starts, an ERA of 5.79. He walked 65 against 96 strikeouts. Um, and for a guy with that stuff, 96 strikeouts and 126 innings also seems low um so that group really I think underachieved but I also think they got better when they needed to get better Giolito right now you talk about what he's doing in the major leagues he's made six starts up there he's got an ERA just over two and a half but he got better late in the year he made three starts in August at the AAA level gave up three earned runs over 17 and two-thirds struck out 20 and only walked five so it seemed like he was really starting to get things figured out um yeah it did surprise me especially with the success that Kopech had pretty much from the start of the year uh, with AA Birmingham, to not see him make a jump earlier was a little bit surprising. Um, and that was something that we had sort of thought might be uh, a case where he would make a, a climb more around the all-star break at the minor league level in mid-June or so, but he only makes those three starts toward the end of the year. So didn't factor in nearly as much as we thought. Um, I think the, the ceilings are still really high there, and we're seeing a lot of those guys right now prove that in very limited bursts in the major leagues, but not exactly the dominant, you know, murderer's row of starting pitching that we thought coming out of the gate. Yeah, if we're, I mean, if we're talking about, you know, interestingness as prospects, I don't really think that any of them, that, you know, despite whatever numbers, I don't really think any of them have, have kind of lost a yeah. ton. No, I, I think they are definitely still like a core of what this White Sox rebuild is, even after they've added 
you know, everything else they added during the season. And we'll get into some of that uh, a little bit more. Uh, if we want to pivot, actually, I, I had Charlotte as the most interesting team, um, not only because of the rotation, like you guys were saying, um, but, you know, obviously, Yohan Mankata was there um, as well. And he entered the season, um, you know, one spot behind Andrew Benintendi uh, for the top prospects in the game. Uh, Benintendi started the year in Boston. So basically, for our intents and purposes, he was the top prospect. Uh, some solid numbers. I, I thought he was going to even take off even more because Charlotte Stadium is notoriously homer happy. Uh, he hit 12 homers in 80 games at the AAA level this year, uh, which, you know, is solid. And you pr- you put that over 140 games. You know, he's definitely hitting 20, which is good for him. Uh, also stealing 17 bags. Um, but, you know, we saw more of the same problems with him. He struck out 102 times in 309 at-bats. Contact remains an issue with him. Um, you know, he's still majorly athletic. Um, but, you know, I thought this was going to be his chance to really take off in the minors. Didn't quite happen. Didn't, you know, not enough breaks on him uh, to keep him from making the south side of Chicago this year. And I still think he can build on this, you know, Charlotte performance and the performance he's showing with the White Sox right now. Um, but, you know, the Charlotte team, as much buzz as we had before the beginning of the year, I don't think they quite lived up to it uh, in the way we had, we would have hoped Uh from a pitching standpoint or overall t- team standpoint. Um, so while we're on kind of interesting teams, uh, Kelsey, you actually had Lehigh Valley, which is what I talked about for lineup, but w- what else do you want to touch on? Yeah, I mean, pretty much everything you were saying about all those guys that got called up with Nick Williams and, JP, or, and Reese Hoskins, um, which I feel like part of what makes them interesting is that they have all these guys that are now in the majors with Reese Hoskins tearing it up, people are enjoying him. And also JP, you know, 13 of his 15 homers came after June. That's interesting. And what I also find most interesting about Lehigh Valley is even though they didn't necessarily go that deep in the playoffs, I didn't remember this, but they went 24 and 5, 24 and 5 in May. Like only five losses. That seems crazy, but they put it together. It was mostly done by Tom Eshelman, was their star pitcher, I would say, all year. Because um, Ben Lively and Jake Thompson were kind of up and down. Mark Capel was battling injuries a couple times. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't say they're the best team, but I still think they're interesting. And, uh, um, well, yeah, no, for, for most interesting team, I want to, we have to finish on yours, Tyler, because yours is definitely, okay. yours was the most interesting pick of the most interesting team thing. Um, but, Josh, you had Lake Elsinore Storm. Um, well, I think, you know, when you made that pick back in the spring, um, was kind of a wild card pick for me, but I, I definitely found myself following them maybe the most out of the Cal League this year. It was, I think it was a wild card pick for me, too. I think I, it was like a, um, I wanted to go a route that I didn't think anybody would go. And yeah, it is. it was an interesting team. The for me, the most interesting team in the Cal League far and away turned out to, and maybe in the minors, turned out to be Lancaster um, just with how, I mean, they had good pitching, but uh, how many hitters they had that, that were among the best in the league in several different offensive categories. Um, obviously, the, the Brendan Rodgers, uh, you know, first half there was, was incredible um but there was also 
Jonathan Daza led the league with a 341 average. Uh, Garrett Hampton was the next highest hitter uh, at 326. Um, Hampton, by the way, stole 51 bases, which is only second in the league uh, because Wes Rogers, another Lancaster player, stole 70 um, while getting on for a 377 on-base percentage. So let's uh, rewind and pretend I picked Lancaster. Uh, <laughs> uh, can we do that? Boy, that was um, a great pick, Josh. Yeah. yeah. When you picked really, Lancaster, yeah. you were really I mean, on. I mean, Sam Hilliard had hit 21 home runs and stole 37 bases. Um, Miles, they, the whole team stole 30 bases, practically at least, uh, and, and hit well, too. Yeah, well, to give yourself some credit, I mean, that – uh, Lake Elsinore pitching staff might have been the Cal League's best at the yeah. very least. Uh, That's true. Yeah, they, uh, you know, and they had guys move up. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll agree with that. Uh, Lucchese and Lauer for the first half were were pretty incredible. Um, obviously, went up to the Texas League, um, and yeah, they had called Quantrill. Um, strong, it, it, strong team. Yeah, it's too bad Anderson Espinosa, you know, needed Tommy John surgery. He's going to be out maybe right. even next year as well. But that that team could have even kicked it up another level uh, in terms of rivaling Lancaster for that most interesting Cal League team. Uh, so now we have to get to the one that at the time seemed a little nuts. So now we might as well revisit it. Tyler, you chose the Columbia Fireflies uh, for obviously their big name left fielder in Tim Tebow, but. Um, what you talked about when we had that podcast was how is the rest of the team going to kind of respond to having that circus that was definitely coming to town every night. Tebow was in the lineup. How do you feel like they kind of followed through on that? You know, I mean, it obviously did not really harm that team in any way in the first half when he was there throughout the entirety of it. They went 40 and 28. Um, and on the flip side, they went 28 and 42 after the break. So obviously Tim Tebow is just a winner. Rising tide lifts all boats, whatever people say about <laughs> Tim Tebow. Um, you know, that's obviously not because of Tim Tebow, but I think it's a big testament to the coaching staff, to the other guys on that roster that, yeah, ESPN is going to be at your minor league, at your South Atlantic League batting practice, or they're going to be following you on road trips, or you're going to have a gaggle of media watching you get off the bus. That doesn't happen in the Sally League. Um, and so for those guys to be able to go out, play 12 games over 500 in the first half, um, play within uh, half a game of a division title, I think is a big testament to not only all those guys, but to Tim Tebow as well. The fact that he fit into that roster, didn't have a dominant season at either level where he was, and there's a good story up on the site right now uh, by Danny Wilde about his debut season in professional baseball and what we can take from it. But the ultimate lesson is, you know, and this was kind of a – it was kind of a low hanging fruit in order to pick this as the most interesting team, but because this was going to be the outcome in 2016, the Columbia Fireflies playing their first season in existence averaged 3,785 fans per game um, at spirit communications park in Columbia, South Carolina this year in 66 games last year was in 68. They averaged 4,773. So almost a thousand fans a night, more in 2017 versus in 2016. And that's after, I mean, Tim Tebow left that team in July. Didn't he get promoted in July? So it's a substantial part of the season in which Columbia did not have him on the roster and they still obliterated last year's attendance numbers. And 
that is a boon to a franchise in a really good sports market like Columbia. You got a lot of people in the gates as Beer Communications Park that maybe you otherwise would not have, and then you turn them into return visitors. That's the key in minor league baseball. Not just to get the first timer to come out, it's to get people to come back. And so when you have somebody like Tim Tebow, like the Birmingham Barons experience when they had Michael Jordan, you have something that is drawing in people who would otherwise maybe not find their way to your games and to your park. And that's big. That's a, it's an interesting element to why that team was the way that it was this year. But I think it's going to have a ripple effect for a while for Columbia. I don't think it'll be nearly as pronounced of an effect for St. Lucie. He could be back there in 2018. Um, but, you know, it's St. Lucie's a different thing with a, a spring training market. The Florida State League's always different. But also, something to keep in mind in the Florida State League. In 2016, one team in the FSL averaged over 2,000 fans per night. That was Clearwater. Every year, Clearwater leads the track with attendance in the Florida State League. This year, four teams were over 2,000 thousand fans per night and St. Lucie was one of those. Is that all Tim Tebow? No, probably not. But is that a contributing factor? Yes. We had a story on the side about that as well. So it's it's interesting because the baseball dynamic in the first half was fascinating. Those guys are not going to have to deal with that the rest of their minor league careers unless they're playing with Tim Tebow at their future stops, but they're not going to deal with it the way it was in 2017 when he's making his minor league debut and to go out play 12 games over 500 is really impressive in and of itself and there's some pretty good talent on that team as well I mean it's not this is not the same system that we've seen in recent years in the Mets organization um, you know with a lot of their talent really at the higher levels but there are some guys on that roster that were pretty interesting coming into this year and that had fairly decent seasons as well so it isn't just about the off the field stuff uh, but the off the field stuff was fascinating to watch for that team yeah, we might as well just quickly go around on this because, you know, we can't go without, uh, you know, a wrap-up of 2015 without addressing at least, you know, the gator in the room. Um, but, uh, you know, do you, you yeah, yeah, a gator in the room is much more dangerous <laughs> than an elf in the room. Yeah, that's true. Well, it depends on how small the room is. That's also true. <laughs> um, but do you feel like Tebow, and like, we kind of control this, right? You know, we're, we write the news. We're the ones who put stuff on the main page. Uh, all of us have had control over the media wall and all that kind of stuff. But do you feel like Tebow dominated uh, the 2017 minor league season? I'm not talking about numbers, any of that type of stuff, just in terms of grabbing hold of the news coverage. Um, did he do that as much as we thought or feared at the beginning of the year? He definitely did at the beginning. I think it did die down a little bit. Like, uh, I don't know. I feel like for the last couple months or so, maybe he wasn't hitting as many home runs as he did at the beginning or right when he got promoted. Right. But you I can think, only hit your first home right. run once. Exactly. So, yeah. Or your first class A advanced home run. But like, so I feel like it did kind of die down. I mean, every time we posted, there was still a lot of attention, but I feel that we didn't post as much as at the beginning for either because of what he was doing or because of demand from fans or that maybe the novelty wore off a little bit. I don't know. I think it definitely died down a little bit though, but I'm sure Come spring training next year, uh, if he's back and he says he will be, then I think the circus will start up again. I would agree. I mean, I think at the beginning of the year, you know, I mean, I had the story on opening night when he homers uh, for Columbia and you knew that there was going to be a splash whenever that moment came, even if it didn't come until May. It was always going to be, oh, Tim Tebow, he's really doing it at the professional level in, in minor league baseball. Um, but I think as the 
I think as as on one side of it as the novelty wore off and on the other side of it as he just became one of the guys then it wasn't really as interesting of a story it's still an interesting story in his conversion as an athlete to playing a sport that he hasn't played in a decade all that kind of stuff but there's only so many ways that you can skin that cat and make it an interesting story. After a while, when a guy bats 194 through 22 games in May, it's not that exciting of a story. In August, 27 games, he batted 165 at Class A advance. And that's not to rip on Tim Tebow. That's There's very difficult learning curves there. And he bounced back in June, got himself promoted. That's a huge step to take in a career that you want to end up in the major leagues if you're Tim Tebow. But I think similarly to what Kelsey was saying, it died down because everything else kind of takes its course over a guy's career. It isn't like football where the focus is all on one day of the week. When you're going out and you're playing six, seven days out of the week, it's not going to be that exciting six, seven days out of the week. Out of a 140-game season, you're going to have maybe 10 memorable games if you're a really good player. So I think it it was managed pretty well after the initial euphoria kind of calmed down. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I think it was even managed well with the initial uh, euphoria. I don't think we really or anybody really gave him undue coverage because uh, as Kelsey kind of, kind of alluded to um, – Every time we did do something about him, people really wanted to read it. People, uh, you know, it seems like half the comments or responses on, on social media were, were, you know, who cares, who is this guy? Um, I, I mean, not who is this guy, obviously. Why are you talking about this guy? And then the other half were, shut up, haters. We love, we love Tebow. Hooray, hooray. Um, but it, they were people wanted to talk about him. People had opinions about him doing what he was doing. And he was a a legitimate point of interest for the minor league baseball fan base and brought in, I think uh, some, some new people into the minor league baseball, um, you know, the world of, of minor league baseball. Let me just say, as somebody living in Denver, you say people have opinions on him and they're very strong. I've, I've never encountered that before. Never. No, everybody was super proud come of that, across. that uh, playoff run, right? Everybody was just... Yeah, no, it's never... I don't think anybody had opinions. I don't, I don't, I've never heard any on Tim Tebow ever before. Friend of the podcast, Tim Tebow, by the way. He used to play football, is that right? Yeah, that's what I've heard. That's what they've told me. He used to throw the hand egg around, if I understand correctly. <laughs> Um, none of us picked him for breakout prospects. No. We'll put it that way. But that's our next topic. Yeah, so we'll, we'll kind of pick things up here. We got four more categories to go, so we'll just kind of get to them real fast. Um, Kelsey, you had Blake Rutherford. I had Ronald Acuna. I'm just going to celebrate that for a second. Uh, Josh, you had Edwin Rios, which I think is a very interesting pick, and I'm really looking forward to hearing you talk about that. Uh, Tyler, you had Mickey Moniak. Um, so, Kelsey and Tyler, I'm going to ha- kind of have you guys go first because it – Rutherford and Moniak are kind of in the same boat, both high picks from 2016, both coming out of California high schools, and neither of them performed as well as we thought they would. No. Uh, I mean, to Blake's credit, he did have to deal with a midseason trade. You know, that's always hard, especially for a young guy. Uh, he had to adjust. I mean, it was the same league, same South Atlantic league, but still to adjust. Um, but, yeah, at the end of the day, it wasn't quite his uh, – year in terms of the numbers but i'm sure it was still a step for him developmentally in in the process yeah i think um debut seasons especially for high school guys 
can go one out of two ways. I think on the one hand, if you are going to be a dominant player, sometimes you just break out in that first full season. That's pretty rare. And on the other side, it's long. You've been playing high school ball and youth ball your entire life. Sure, you play 60, 70 games sometimes if you're on travel ball teams, all that kind of stuff. To play 140 games over the course of a season is exhausting. Um, this year, Mickey Moniak, last year's first overall pick, 123 games. And when you watch the progression of him from month to month, it's a dude who's getting tired. Just in terms of his average 284 in April, 22 games, 276 in May, 26 games, 255 in June, 23 games, 220 in July, 26 games, 156 in August, 23 games. So it's just that that progression of the exhaustion as a minor league season goes along. When you are 19 years old, as Mickey Moniak was for the majority of this season, that tends to wear on you a lot more than a guy who maybe was doing it at the college level or is coming back for his second season. Next year, I think maybe there's a chance that there is a breakout season for one of those two guys or maybe both of them. Um, but yeah, coming out of high school, it's tough. And we had high bars for them. And uh, don't feel bad, guys. It's Many dominant baseball players really struggled their uh, their first years in full season ball. Right. And, and I think we had justifiable um high bars for them as well just because you know they were super talented you know rutherford was right there with moniac uh every step of the draft process um you know he went went further down to the yankees eventually got traded to the white Sox, as kelsey said but um you know i i I thought they could have taken off you know they certainly played their their amount of travel ball uh it didn't happen this year and that that's okay you know sometimes you know if guys do take off in that first year, then they can really take off. That's when we get, you know, starting to get really, really excited. And I think Forrest Whitley is a guy we saw do that this year in the Astro system, going from Class A to Double A as a teenager. You know, in his first season, that yeah, and that that's obviously a different scenario. You know, he's a pitcher; he's not going out there every day in the way Rutherford and Moniak are. He's much more limited. But you know, there is there is some precedent for high school guys doing this, and Moniac and Rutherford at the beginning of the year certainly looked like they, they had the offensive and defensive profiles to make it happen. This wasn't the year. Still plenty of time, like you guys said, so not too worried. Uh, kind of the other spectrum. Josh, I want to hear you talk about Edwin Rios uh, before I get into Acuna. Um, how do you feel like he kind of lived up to what you thought of him? And do you feel like it was a breakout or more of a continuation? Well, um... That's a, yeah, that's an interesting sort of question of, of what the measuring stick there is because uh, I think part of, part of why I pick him as breakout is, is just because of, like, prospects' rankings of him. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I kind of saw him kind of getting a lot more attention if he had the kind of year this year that, he, that I thought he would and that he did. Um, I think I compared him to – I think I, I, I brought up Willie Calhoun and how at the beginning of the 2016 season, nobody was really talking about Willie Calhoun. And then he hits, you know, 27 home runs at double A, and everybody knows who he is. Um, and, well, uh, Rios, he hit 24 home runs between over the, the, the two highest levels, double um, A AA and triple A, with – higher batting average on base and I think also higher slugging. Um, yes. Um, and, th- and 34 doubles. I think it, breakout is a, you know, that's a tough, tough word. I, and I, I think we've talked about it before. It, um, if we're talking about 
did this guy do something he's never done before, um, then, well, I could look at his, his, his numbers last year and say, no, they were there. They were, they were at lower levels with 16 of those home runs coming in the Cal League, which is always that, there's always that, well, 16 of, you know, were, were 14 of those Cal League home runs. Uh, you know, wind-driven or or air airborne, you know, air lofted. Um, but Rios, I think this year shows that his his power is legitimate. Um, I think you know, 34 doubles. We've seen the way that doubles uh, at the two highest levels of the minors. Some of those convert to home runs in the major leagues. Um, hey, yeah, I, I feel good about that pick. I. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 a uh, I'm impressed by Edwin Rios. No, that's that's perfectly fair, and, and we should note, uh, you know, he did move up from the number 24 prospect in a very good Dodger system to now number 16, uh, not quite top 100. And I think, you know, the comparison to Calhoun offensively is is probably an apt one. Um, what hurts him is that he's kind of a corner guy, might end up at first base where the power threshold is a little higher. Um, so that hurts him in terms of prospect status, but. You know, for a guy who hit 309 with 24 home runs at Tulsa and Oklahoma City, you're, you'll take that every time. And, and if he can somehow repeat those numbers at Oklahoma City next year, uh, that'll be real interesting to follow him going forward. Obviously blocked at third with Justin Turner. And, you know, the Dodgers need to figure out what Cody Bellinger's future is and how Adrian Gonzalez figures into first. But we can talk about that more going into 2018 with Edwin Rios. Uh, Acuna, um, you will be hearing more about him uh, during Milby season in multiple categories, uh, but breaker out prospect is definitely one of them. Um, when I talk, Sam is like a proud father. With I know. I'm just him. beaming. Well, he's, he's literally beaming. I am literally. Yeah. There's no. There's... He, re- he recently became an uncle. I, this might be more beaming. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sam's love for Robin. Liam, if is not true. And go to bed. Right. Ronald, Damn, it probably is true. It's totally true. Um, <laughs> But the reason why I really liked Ronald Acuna at the beginning of the year was because the Braves just seemed to be leaning on him so much in spring training. Uh, he was coming off a year in which he had been injured. He only played 40 games at Class A Rome. Uh, but he got some time in at the Australian Baseball League, former home of Tyler Mon, uh, hitting 375 in 20 games for Melbourne. They seemed He fared much like- better after the ABL than I did. What? He fared much better after the I didn't have a breakout season after the <laughs> ABL like he did. It was very impressive for him. Yeah, so he... He hit 375 down there, uh, literally down there, um, in 20 games. Seemed to carry that forward into the spring. Uh, started out the year at Class A Advanced Florida. Hit 287 there with an 814 OPS. Uh, you probably know the story at this point. We've said it so many times. Anyways, finished the year hitting 325 with an 896 OPS. 21 homers, 44 steals. You literally could not ask for a more toolsy player uh, than what Acuna showed at the that. Pretty much every stop, getting better and better everywhere he went. Um, I, I don't know if I've seen a season quite like this one in terms of getting better the higher they go up the chain, whether it's a pitcher or a hitter. Um, and, you know, he's a top five prospect now. Um, some people might, you know, talk about him as the top overall prospect uh, going into next year. He's going to be competing with some of the other names we'll bring up in a little bit. Um, but for a guy who had just cracked into the top 100, looked like there were some decent tools there. At the beginning of their not at the beginning of the year, now they're certainly solid. They're well formed. Um, you know, he he's going to be a major leader at some point in 2018. I thought there was a chance he would do that. Now uh, it's a little too late probably to make that happen. Um, but 
you know, is he, where is he going to be in the outfield next year for the Braves? And when is that going to happen? Are the only questions. It, it's not how or if it's, you know, when, and uh, for a guy who, you know, again, played only 40 games in the South Atlantic league entering the year, that is the definition of a breakout. The crazy thing I found about Acuna and Sam predicting that he was going to break out is that when Sam sent the email today about who we had picked and I saw that Sam picked Acuna, I was like, that's a really annoying pick because he was probably awesome last year and we talked about it all the time. Like then I looked it up and no, he was so like lowly ranked compared to how he is now. And it's amazing because I think we've just gotten used to Acuna being like one of the guys, like one of the big prospects we talk about all the time or that is producing all the time. And so it's funny how he's already slipped in to be one of those main prospects. If I could go back, by the way, and pick a guy to be in that vein, Fernando Tatis Jr. would be my guy. He'd be the guy I would I would grab for a breakout prospect. He's another one like Acuna just blew up this year. And those guys are so much fun to look back on at the end of a season. Yeah, uh, yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about more about that when we have our Milby show and we roll out the tuxes for the uh, Milby nominees just to give everybody a taste of what that's going to be like. But, yeah, Tatis. The people love it. Yeah, no, Tatis will definitely be in the conversation for – at least one or two categories, I think. Okay. All right. Um, so that wraps up breakout prospect. Um, AL, NL rookie of the year. I think, I don't know if we really need to discuss this. This isn't really a major league thing. Um, or this is a major league thing, and that's not exactly what we cover necessarily on a day-to-day basis. And we Kelsey's, were all really wrong. You're all yeah. very wrong. Yeah. Very, very but wrong. I, I am especially wrong in both of mine, but I will say that Ahmed Rosario has earned the award Rookie of the Year. I don't know if you guys saw this. It's on his bio. He has the Rookie of the Year award. It's for the Pacific Coast League, not the National oh, okay, League. Yeah. Whatever. He still won. I, I predicted, no, no, I predicted no, 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 Rookie no. of the Year. No, we said National League Rookie of the Year. You Whatever. don't get said. So Kelsey said Giolito and Rosario. Right, both we guys. Talk about well, yeah, we already talked about Giolito. Came up a little too late. Uh, to to figure into that conversation. Josh and I took Andrew Benintendi and Dansby Swanson, both of which are actually having very impressive second halves, um, kind of mirroring what they did last year at the second half when they did come up to the majors. You know, those were the top two prospects in the game at the beginning of the year. And we also, I think we said at the time that, you know, we we didn't think that that those were the most exciting picks, but it just seemed like something really kind of extraordinary would would have to happen for them to not be the guys. And I think some extraordinary things did happen. Um, I, both I think the, Aaron Judge listened to that podcast yeah, and just laughed. And, and Bellinger. Right, right. And, and I think the same for Cody Bellinger, yeah. um, who I don't think we saw even, even getting up as soon as he did. Right. And uh, just to wrap that up, Tyler had – Tyler said he was going to take Andrew Benatendi and Dan's response, and I want to give him credit for that. Um, but he, he went off the board and took Bradley Zimmer of the Indians and Antonio Senzatella of the Rockies. Um, both were, you know, they've been in the majors all year. Um, you know, it, it's not. They both complete. started well. Yeah. <laughs> right. So afterwards, not so much. Uh, rookie of the year can be a very difficult thing to predict. I did a story at the beginning of the year, kind of setting up guidelines. And I think Judge and Bellinger actually fit under those guidelines. But predicting that they were going to put up the power numbers that they did this year. Um, you know, we didn't know the ball was going to be kind of new this year that, you know, the major league home run record was going to be set for most home runs in the season. Did not see that coming uh, and how that would play into Aaron Judge and Cody Bellinger's game. So who knows? You know, maybe Reese Hoskins somehow catches Cody Bellinger. Don't think that's going to happen. But 
those are the two leaders in the clubhouse right now. Uh, our other topic, moving down one, was the Bauman Home Run Award. Uh, that was won by A.J. Reed for the second time in three years. I don't think we can hold that against ourselves for saying A.J. Reed, a guy who had been at AAA, had success at AAA, was going to be in the minors long enough to hit enough home runs to win this award for the second time in three years. Kelsey, actually, we'll, we'll, we'll do it this way. We'll do it by who hit the most home runs. Uh, so, Josh, you had Tyler O'Neill. He hit 31. Yeah. So you you picked the guy with the most home runs this year. And he uh, was just three away from Reed. Right. Um, and he had, a, he had like a bizarrely slow first half or first couple months anyway. And then he really um, so, caught fire before that trade from the Mariners to the Cardinals. Right. So I, I feel good about that. Yeah. So Tyler O'Neill was the best pick of our bunch. Um, Kelsey, you came in second in that respect with Kristen Stewart, who had 28 home runs. Seemed to pick yeah, up yeah. Um, what he did last year. That's not a disappointment at all. Yeah, he led the uh, Eastern League. And he actually had, I was looking at a few prolonged gaps that probably didn't help. And I think his last 10 games, he was homerless. Uh, so, but I'm pretty proud of my pick. Yeah. Uh, Tyler, you came in third with Bobby Bradley with 23 home runs. I don't think that's exactly what we were expecting. We would thought we would have thought he would have hit a, a few more this year, at least competed more for that uh, Bauman chase than he ever really did yeah and you know i mean a guy who's playing in a not super offensively friendly um level and league and uh you know the the power numbers for him as he's climbing were so impressive uh 27 overs in 2015 29 and 2016 i guess maybe there was going to be a boomerang effect at some point but first taste of double a you know he's still only 21 um if he heads back there next year i think we could probably see him threaten 30 yeah, no, that that sounds about right. Um, and my pick, bringing up the rear, was Peter O'Brien, who hit just 15. He had some crazy year in terms of just looking at his transaction page. Um, he played for AAA Omaha in the Kansas City organization. Played for AA Frisco in AAA Round Rock in the Rangers organization. Played for AAA Louisville in the Reds organization. He played for AA Tulsa. Everybody likes his power and willing to give him a spot in the lineup because of that. But he just got passed around so much. Uh, never hit for any average. He hit 191. Struck out 140 times in 93 games across all those different teams. Um, you know, when he when he can make contact, he can you know crush him with the best of them. He hit 34 home runs in 2014 and had hit 20 home runs in each of his previous four seasons before this year. Um, actually, go yeah, no, four seasons. Um, so, you know, the potential was certainly there. He just got passed around so much that's just going to disrupt his season. Uh, you know, you never get comfortable in a certain place. He never played more than 45 games with an individual team. Um, so did not exactly live up to what my expectations were for him. I'm sure he'd be the first to tell you that as well. Uh, he's certainly not on the prospect radar anymore because of those contact issues. But um, at the beginning of the year, it looked much better than it does now. Uh, so that that's the Bauman Home Run Award. And now this is now Kelsey and Tyler's time to beam. Um, they both had Glaber Torres as the, the prospect they expected to be the number one overall in the game entering 2018. We won't know the answer to that until 2018, obviously. But... With all the graduations that have happened right now, Torres is the number one prospect right now. What allowed that to happen? Even with the injury, even with the elbow injury that has kept him out, you know, for months at a time now. 
I mean, he still has a lot of promise. He, you know, made the leap to Scranton to AAA after starting the year in Trent. Uh, and I think he was hitting 300 after that move. In only 23 games, he was doing well. And it is unfortunate for him that he had to undergo Tommy John surgery. But let me tell you, some people watch the waiver wire for fancy sports, whatever. I watch when prospects are going to lose their rookie status. And I was watch- <laughs> I was watching Moncada. I was watching. Yeah, Moncada. she was. Mets fans were upset about Monc- Rosario's injury. about, And I was just like, but is he going to get those at bats? Like, is he going to get it before? Because he was counting down the other day on, wasn't it Rosario when he was going to yeah, graduate? It was. It was like I, two, I was like, he's she was like two at bats left. <laughs> and, then, and then he did it that day. And then, yeah. And then I tweeted about Mankata. Actually, I was pretty proud of that tweet after it got a lot of attention. Uh, so, yes, I think that Glaber will stay. I know it's tough when guys are injured, but as I was thinking about earlier, Byron Buxton was injured a lot, and he remained the top prospect. I know yeah, times have changed, true. rankings have changed, but I still think that Glaber and the potential and you know coming back from Tommy John's never easy, but I still think that he will be the number one in 2018. And um, well, let, let me just jump in real quick. You also had him. I, I did, and to be honest, I mean, Kelsey's been on this bandwagon all year. I sort of forgot that I had picked Glaber Torres. I think um, – I, I still think it's a great pick, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a, a a little bomb in this conversation. I think going into 2018, I think Vlad Guerrero Jr. overtakes everybody. I think he's number one going into 2018. I I, I would not disagree that's with fair. that. I, I, that's but that's the thing. I think we can have this, and we're going to have this conversation. Yeah, all winter. Um, we got nothing to talk about until March, people. Yeah, get prepared. Hey, the AFL's coming. Yeah, well, we do That's true. the That's AFL, true. Winter Leagues, all that kind of stuff, Rule 5, Winter Meetings, all that. But, yeah, Vlad, Glaber, Robles, maybe. Acuna has put himself in that conversation. That's really the core, I think, of, of whoa, the whoa, discussion. Whoa, 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 <laughs> What? Yeah. Whoa. What about I, Eli? Josh is gone. I don't know if I did that on purpose or not, but go <laughs> ahead and say what you're going to say, Josh. Um. Yeah, I I think Vlad Guerrero Jr. You know he's he's he was so exciting this year that it, it, I don't think anybody would be surprised or or disappointed to see him take over those rankings. But um, I still I just think Eloy Jimenez is is just uh, a really incredible prospect to watch. I don't I I think I thought that coming into this year, and you know he he didn't do anything to. Um, to, to kind of dissuade me of that. Um, yeah, I mean, very solid numbers all around. He gets traded. He plays against his, his former team the day he gets traded and he continues to hit. Uh, it just, like, nothing seemed to slow him down, and, and he was already gaining a lot of, you know, speed coming into the year. Yeah, he finished the year hitting 312 with 19 homers. Uh, I think after having a shoulder issue at the beginning of the year, he only played 89 games, but 19 homers in 89 games is, is killer. And definitely had one of the more memorable moments, I'd say, of the year, uh, hitting a home run off the light tower uh, during the Carolina yeah. League uh, home run derby. Um, so, yeah, I mean. Shattering the light. Right. And then yeah, he did it again in batting style. practice. Yeah, I heard the music. Yeah. Um, Eloy's power is always going to keep him in this conversation regardless. And the fact that he's showing an even better hit tool than I think he did last year. Um, it certainly cements his place in that. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily as toolsy as some of these other guys. Uh, although Vlad isn't, you know, a speed guy either. Um, but he's playing a little bit more of a premium position at third base. 
I don't know. Again, we'll have this whole conversation again uh, later this year. I my pick was Victor Robles, who is number two overall right now. So we did a pretty okay, good job, yeah. I gotta say. You know, we it, it's easy to pick talented people, but we said Torres, Robles, and Eloy Jimenez, which right now in MLB.com's rankings are one, two, and four. Uh, Robles. And nobody expected the season that Vlad Guerrero Jr. had. Right. So yeah, yeah, exactly. That took everybody by surprise. Yeah. So uh, Robles at number two. He's now with the Nationals. That was kind of a surprise call up. Um, you know, performed really well at, at Class A Advanced uh, Potomac and Double A Harrisburg. Um, you know, he's, he can do it all on defense, has an incredibly strong arm, uh, has tons of range. Uh, can steal a whole bunch of bases, has the plus speed to make himself a plus defender in center field. Really going to be interesting to see how the Nationals use him going forward. Uh, but like I said on a previous podcast, you know, shout out to GM Mike Rizzo of the Nationals just deciding he is the most talented outfielder in that minor league system and they needed an outfielder. So they're going to bring him up maybe a little headed schedule uh, for this playoff push. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll pick this up again next year. Um, and I'm sure it will be in a very similar situation to this, but, uh, lots of, lots of guys gave us something to think about in turn. I don't think there's a bang on top overall prospect heading into 2018, uh, it, in ways that there, you know, weren't in other, in other years, it was definitely who was, you know, we had a clear idea of who number one is. I don't think we have that now. And that makes for a fun debate. Yeah, I mean, I would completely agree with that. It's the the talent pool is that deep. It's not that they're, you know, oh, who wants to take it as the number one? I think all these guys have a legitimate claim to it, which is pretty cool. Well, okay, Josh, this was you have fun because add. it was like, uh, you know, when we were right or had good picks, it was like, yeah, look, look, we're geniuses, and and when we're wrong, it's like, oh, that guy didn't do what he should have done. <laughs> <laughs> it was really it's his baseball, fault, Josh. Exactly. <laughs> There's a whole Twitter account devoted to that. Yeah, there's there's 20 year olds like you know 20 year old boys. You can't control them. You don't you don't know what they're gonna do. They're unpredictable. Or 32 for that matter. Um. So there you have it. That was our uh, our take at the beginning of the year and our takes at the end of the year for 2017, which is the season is over and I have no idea how that happened. Um. Arizona Fall League is coming up. There's mm. still prospect heavy baseball to be played um but yeah the fact that this season is behind us is this uh, this is my fourth year with milb.com this is the fastest i think a season has ever gone for me i agree and it's also my fourth it's weird it's my sixth yeah that's your yeah i know yeah years. Went by, i don't i don't think i have prospect writer eligibility anymore i've been in the minors too long <laughs> he's a Josh, farm what, hand. what season is this for hand. you yeah I'm a, I'm a, yeah I'm you've a graduated you're now. no longer a prospect, prospect. What? Josh, how many seasons have you done it? Um, many seasons. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I started in 2008 in the I think that AFL was my was like my first in the minors in the for MILB.com. And you had a and furlough. Then, and then I went away a for a couple of years, yeah. Or yeah. really I think I missed like one f- full season and then some some edges of the other the seasons around that season. Okay. All right. So you're our veteran. None of us are yeah, prospects the, any longer, but you're the, our uh, like actually maybe Kelsey and I might. Maybe they'll make him a coach. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good org you're guy. Right. <laughs> oh man! That oh, guy all right. <laughs> you gotta He's break the home doing... run record first. <laughs> it's out there to be had. I think it's like writing about the most home runs, maybe. <laughs> most milestone stories oh, that's what we should figure out who's written the most milestones 
Yeah. That's an off-season project if I ever heard. Right. Yeah, somebody I'll, can tackle that. I shall do that. The but four of us. Instead of the Josh Jackson. For Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Jackson in Los Angeles. Kelsey Anakin and Sam Dykstra in New York. I'm Tyler Bond in Denver. Um, the ones that we had right, we were geniuses on. And the ones that we didn't, uh, not our fault. Um, Josh, Kelsey, thanks a ton for uh, for doing this. We'll do it again uh, start of 2018. Sounds great. Okay. Tyler. Jake Bowers coming up next. The Durham Bulls, Triple A champs. Episode continues. All right, so just kind of starting off, what's it like being on this stage? You know, one game. There's not really many baseball games in which it's one, you know, one game, one winner, win all. Um, what's it like being on this stage? Um, I mean, it means a lot. Obviously, uh, you know, it kind of comes down to your whole season's worth of work that uh, that kind of gets you here. And um, you know, to have it come down to one game, I don't think it's fair to judge either team on one game. You know, I don't think whoever wins tonight isn't necessarily going to be the better team. But uh, either way, both teams are going to go out try and put on a show for all the fans that come out, everyone that's watching at home, and uh, hopefully just have fun. I mean, that's the main thing for me is I'm going to go out there and try to enjoy myself, try and uh, soak it all in and just have fun. Yeah, do you kind of treat it like an all-star game in that way where it's just kind of an exhibition? Right. And yeah, that's kind of what it feels like, you know, um, obviously, because being that it's not a series, uh, you're not going to see all their pictures. Um, you know, obviously, you're going to be a lot of guys shuffled in and out. And uh, so for me, it's, it's like you said, it's going to be kind of like an all-star game. But, you know, I still enjoy myself at all-star games. Uh, you know, there's still uh, everyone that goes on the field is going to want to win. You know, it doesn't doesn't take away from that. And um, looking forward to seeing everyone that comes out. Yeah. And, and you mentioned all the work you put in during the year. You've been with this team all season long. How much more special is that to kind of see it through? Uh, especially, you don't get the you don't get the opportunity to do that very often, and uh, so to be here from opening day to now, it means a lot. And um, you know, to, to win tonight would only kind of cap everything off and um, make it just that much more special. And talk about this group of guys. It seems like a lot of you guys have been around. You know, you and Willie Honeywell's been here since the beginning of the year. Hugh Schultz going down the line. Just the amount of guys who kind of stuck together all season long. How does that guy? How does that kind of help you as as the season went into the playoffs? Sure. I think uh, I think just having a, an easy clubhouse to walk into every day helps. Uh, it makes the season go by a little quicker when maybe you know it can become a grind in, in the middle parts of it. Um, I mean, you said a lot of us have been here just this season, but I mean, it goes back to you know three seasons now. At least that I've been here, it's it's been the same group of guys that I've been around, and so. Um, you know, we're all buddies, uh, we're all boys, um, we're all going out to eat after games, getting stuff to eat before games, hanging out on off days, so I mean, um, it, it makes the season go by quicker, it makes the game more fun, um, when you're playing with your friends, obviously everything's going to be more fun, and uh, so I think for all of us, that was probably a pretty huge thing. And, uh, you know, you started the year, you're still 21, you're one of the youngest players in the league at the beginning of the year, you're still that way at the end. How have you kind of grown, you know, from what you were in April to what you are now? I think the main thing I've done is been able to just kind of take a step back from everything. Um, obviously, when you're here, you're, you're one step away from the big league, so it's easy to get distracted with that. Uh, it's easy to try and do too much to, to get yourself there. And so, for me, I think where I've grown is just uh, being able to to be in the moment and kind of stay, you know, while you're in Durham, be in Durham, and. Uh, not worry about anything else that's going on outside of you or, or worry about things that you have no control over. Um, just stepping in between the white lines every night and uh, trying to get a win for your team that night. And, you know, whatever else happens outside of that happens outside of that. And, uh, you know, there's there's pretty much nothing that you can do that's going to change that. Do you guys talk about that a lot? You know, now that you are one step away, like you said, you've been with these guys for a couple of years, Charlotte, 
Montgomery, all that kind of stuff. But this is a different atmosphere. So you guys kind of ha talk about that in the locker room, or is it just called kind of all understood that any of you could go up at any point? Yeah, I think it's kind of more understood than anything. Obviously, you know, you have conversations about it since it's obviously the elephant in the room, you know, that everyone's thinking about day in and day out. But uh, I think, you know, this team here at least did a good job of, of focusing on being the best team that we could be night in and night out and not not worrying about why well, I need to do this tonight to go up tomorrow. Um, we kind of understood what we had a chance to do. Uh, we all committed to it, and obviously it paid off in the championship. And, and just to go back to you personally, it seemed like you kind of had a little bit of a rough April. You know, what kind of change? It seemed like your numbers really took off in May and June. Um, you know, what, what did you learn from that first month? Like I said, just being able to relax. Um, April, I was busy trying to carry over what I did in spring and uh, was pressing on myself and, and trying to do way too much every single night. And uh, when I finally just relaxed and realized that, still baseball you're still here to have fun regardless of the situation um, regardless of what's going on you're still here to have fun you're still here to enjoy yourself uh, it's 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 your job but it shouldn't feel like a job so once I once I remembered that baseball is fun and you do love playing it uh, it just made it that much easier and as a 21 year old in this league you know there aren't many 21 year old normally those guys are just coming out of the draft um, you know I, what kind of test did this provide to you that you hadn't seen yet in the minors? Being able to face big leaguers night in and night out. Um, you know, you, it's always a mystery what big league pitching is going to look like because uh, no one can really tell you and you don't really know until you experience it yourself. And so night in and night out when you're seeing names that you've seen growing up that are, are starting against you and coming out of the bullpen um, and you're, you're getting hits and you're putting together good at-bats and you're hanging right with these guys, it kind of gives you an extra boost of confidence just to say, okay, well, these guys have been there. You know, These are big leaguers. Uh, these are guys who have had success up there, and I'm having success against them. So what's to say I'm not going to have success you know, for the rest of my career? And so uh, for me this year, I think that was the biggest thing that I'm going to take out of it is uh, you know, there's probably nothing that's really going to overwhelm me. Do you remember the first pitcher that made you feel that way, that was a guy you instantly recognized and, as a major leader? Um, I can't put my finger on one in particular, but I mean, it was it was all year, you know, I think AAA is unique where you have a bunch of a bunch of young guys coming up mixed in with a bunch of veteran guys, and uh, I think you're not really going to find that in AA or anywhere else in the minor leagues. And one of the storylines with you the last couple of years has been the move to the outfield. Now you're moving back to first after the last week trade. Um, you know, which do you prefer, and what does that do for you when you are moving back to first more full time? Um, I don't really have a preference. I think my preference would be wherever they want me to play. Uh, I think whatever gets me there fastest is what I'm willing to do. And uh, I think I took major strides out there this year. Obviously. A lot, a lot, a lot of room for improvement still. Um, I think I still only have, you know, 100, 120 games out there, so it's, it's very small. It's very, it's a very small sample size to try and say uh, if I can go out there and do it. But um, you know, I think that I can, and, and if anyone else thinks that I can and they want me to, then that's what I'll do. And does first base feel like a comfort zone, just going back there, or you know, how how did you approach it when they said now we want to move you back to first? Right. Um, yeah, I think for me it was like riding a bike. Just uh, got back there and was able to to kind of rediscover myself over there, where I feel uh, best on defense. Obviously, I think uh, I think that's where 
my skills, at least right now, play up best. And uh, so for me to be able to go go over there and play the rest of the season out and uh, have fun and interact a little more with, with other players and get to know players from other teams more, I, I think that was fun for me. Uh, but like I said, going forward, um, I hope to still be, be able to try and do both. And just quickly, because it seems like everybody's wrapping up, it seems like you tried, You got a little bit more aggressive on the base pass this year, 20 steals. What was behind that? Um, you know, was that an organizational decision for you to go more? Was that a goal for you coming into the year? How's that work out? Um, sure, I think I don't really think it was a goal of mine coming into the year, but once I realized uh, that I had put on a little speed like I was trying to do, um, and I was able to get better reads out there on the base paths, and uh, you know, I was able to you know steal some bags. I kind of just took off from there. Um, I know last year I stole maybe ten, but got thrown out a bunch, and so my thing was if I if I start trying to steal these bags and I'm getting thrown out a lot, maybe it might be time to shut it down. But I mean, every time I ran, it seemed like I was getting second base. And, um, so once that kept happening, it just gave me some confidence. And then uh, from there, it just, just kept trying to take off. I mean, not trying to press it, trying to pick my spots. And uh, when I did that, I was successful. Where did that added speed come from? Because that all season, season work, yeah. yeah. Focus more on, on you know, agility, things like that. Less on, you know, doing bicep curls and push-ups the whole time. And, uh, you know, looking forward to this offseason, even getting more into that, more into the mobility, uh, more into the conditioning, and you know, see where it takes me. And just to kind of wrap up, you know, regardless of what happens tonight, you guys have an IL championship. What does that do for this group of teammates? You know, you've been around so long, going into the offseason, the confidence you guys have. Um, yeah, yeah, what does this end of the season do for you guys? Sure, I mean, I think you saw it with the Royals a few years ago, right? They kept that core group of guys together, and they won championships all the way up through the minors, and then they won the World Series. And so I think for us, um, a lot of our mindsets is uh, obviously it's a little premature, but... Um, you know, next next thing we would like to win a World Series. Um, I think we have a good good core group of guys that can help a big league team. And um, you know, whenever we all get the opportunity, we'll see what happens. All right. Officially into the offseason means we are officially into uh, offseason watch on the business front. And Benjamin Hill is here to discuss some in season, some offseason. Hi, Ben. Hi, Tyler. And uh, hi, Sam. We're sitting to my right. And uh, Tyler, I, I just want to inform you that Sam has gotten a haircut. And, uh, and shaved. And, and shaved. I'm a whole new man. And well, he, he looks really good right now. Okay, so I saw the tweet. And the the prices. So if you're not a longtime listener of the show before the show podcast, you may not know that one time Ben See, and I had a fairly lengthy discussion about the fact that Sam gets his haircuts for four dollars, and now they're five. Right? They went up. Yeah, now it's five, and I'm very upset. <laughs> I'm very upset that I, my whole like tipping scale is thrown off. I used to be able to tip fifty percent. Now if I tip two bucks, it's forty percent, and I feel slightly worse about myself. I don't know. I, it, why don't you just tip like a hundred percent, get the five dollar haircut and pay ten dollars? It's okay. Like, yeah, no, because the market has dictated that that is a five dollar haircut. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not gonna pay above market rate the market for or like haircut. or yeah. like fashion. The show before the show dictated. podcast. Home I'm not of pay above market rate for this below market haircut. Right. <laughs> this this podcast is the home of the five dollar haircut. I I really like. I am sort of envious in that because I don't get a very complex haircut. Like, there's nothing about my hair or the haircuts that I get that dictates that I should spend any more than like five dollars. And yet, I spend like twenty five dollars when I get my haircut. And it's basically just like get a longer version of a buzz. Like, there's nothing nice about my hair. 
So I'm a little bit envious. It's I make jokes because I'm envious. So anyway, maybe if there's a, a haircut promotion of some kind next year for you know people who are very efficient with their haircut pricings, we can get Ben to uh, to get us Sam slots on it. Um, let's go to uh, an actual story that's been posted and up on the site right now. And it is from Reading, Pennsylvania, where Ben got a chance to catch up with one of the guys who was responsible for keeping First Energy Stadium, the home of the Reading fight and fills, as one of the premier ballparks in minor league baseball. We talked about. Reading setup a few times on the podcast. Just really one of the great minor league markets. Terrific ballpark. It's an older ballpark, but it feels brand new. It feels like you're walking into a brand new 1950s ballpark when you go to First Energy Stadium. And one of the guys who is in charge of keeping it that way has a somewhat unique connection to Reading in more than just that. Ben, tell us about him. Yeah, um, that would be Greg Edge. Um, you know, I was in Reading in when was that? Very early August, and uh, I got a couple blog posts, a couple stories out of it, and this for my very last uh, 2017 on-the-road feature, I went back to Reading and uh, wrote about this guy, Greg Edge, who played for the Reading Phillies uh, in, through the back half of the 80s. Um, you know, his career didn't work out. He played professionally through the 90s. Um, you know, had some uh, you know addiction, uh, drug dependency issues. Um, you know, was arrested actually at college. Um, and then basically signed out of the penitentiary, penitentiary, penitent, penitentiary, penitentiary, uh, as he puts it, um, uh, by the Phillies. So, you know, kind of a star-crossed career, but, um, you know, he, he got into AAA and, uh, you know, made the most of it. Ended up on the cover of National Geographic in the early 90s when there was a cover story on taking a minor league baseball road trip. And here he is, all these years later, uh, back at Reading, heading the clean team and uh, being a daily ballpark presence. Um, while one of his teammates from those late 80 Phillies, Greg Legg, is the team's manager. And um, Reading is that kind of place where it seems like everyone you meet has a connection to somebody else. And, um, you know, and that's one of the great things about visiting there is um, it seems like there's stories just literally popping out of the woodwork. And I just wanted to write about Greg Edge and his unique story. And how did you find him exactly? You have quotes, you know, from others in the organization and others with the, the team in Reading. But, um, you know, it's not like he, he's walking around yelling, I used to play for this team in the 80s. How, how did you find Greg? Well, he was. He was walking up and down the concourse yelling. I used to play for this team in the 80s. It's like a vendor selling things, but just uh, yelling out facts about himself. Yeah. Right. You know, that would make my job so much easier if, if just anyone, <laughs> everyone just had to yell the most interesting thing about them and I could just choose my article stories, um, article ideas. But no, um, it was actually the GM, Scott Humsucker, who in that writing way goes back with Edge all the way to when he was a student at Albright and Edge would um, work out at Albright University uh, to get extra work in, in the offseason during the time he was in Reading. Uh, Scott Hunsker is now the GM, and uh, when I was at the ballpark, he said, hey, you might want to talk to him, and uh, there we go. That's how a lot of my stories work out, um, You know, whether it's a reader or someone on the front office. Uh, someone gives me a heads up about somebody uh, who might have an interesting angle, and I pursue it, and you know that's how it goes. So I've got a lot of great road trip stories, I believe, uh, this trip. This uh, entire season and if you go to any of them on milb.com there is a drop down bar with links to all of them there's about 30 road trip stories in general of course they're still coming out on the blog but only a few left there ready to put the wrap on the 2017 season i think it's a lot of great material and uh, i just want as many people to read it as possible so thank you very much for letting me talk about it every week 
Yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff you can go back and find, um, dating all the way back to April and May and that first trip to Frisco. And hard to believe that they're all already behind us for 2017. But um, with the offseason brings a lot of new storylines and things that will develop as we continue along into the offseason. And um, there is a, a crooked numbers column. Um, you mentioned to us that batting around will make its return soon. Crooked numbers is a, a fan favorite that is also on the way back for uh, a recap of the 2017 season. What is uh, – well, explain to the people who have not been uh, – in, in touch with crooked numbers as of yet what it is and then what you got on uh, on the 2017 campaign for it right well crooked numbers is a column i started about seven years ago originally on a monthly basis to just kind of keep track um and uh, write about the, just the strange things that happen on the field of minor league baseball so whereas most of the stuff i've always done has been the promos and uh, the road trips and stuff i don't really do much on field stuff but i've always had a real affinity for the weirdness of baseball minor league baseball major league baseball any kind of baseball uh, grew up uh, in Philadelphia, reading the Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, where Jason Stark was doing his weekly columns of that nature. So this column, Crooked Numbers, kind of started as an homage to the sort of work I read as a kid that Jason Stark did for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And uh, as the years have gone by, it's just been tougher and tougher for me to get to it. It's sort of fallen by the wayside. But um, now that the season's over, I'm going to do a second half Crooked Numbers. And it's by no means comprehensive, but just, you know, 10 or 12 uh, oddities from the second half of the 2017 season and uh, I hope people enjoy them because I like oddities and I think if you're listening to this podcast you probably like oddities um, more than the average person it's gonna be it's gonna be my <laughs> guess so uh, you know stay tuned for that kind of stuff and, you know I'll tell you about uh, what will I tell you about a game in which uh, the only where uh, the Burlington Bees balked in both the runs that scored and lost two to one that's a that's a oddity how does it of a day yeah, and, you know, the balks occurred, you know, two different pitchers in the third inning and then again in the tenth inning to end the game, a walk-off balk. You know, stuff about, uh, you know, balk-off. Yeah, if you remember the 21-inning uh, game between uh, Birmingham and Chattanooga, the Chattanooga finally won 2-1 to one in 21 innings. You know, go into some details on that. And, uh, you know, Alex Perez entered that game uh, with Chattanooga in the bottom of the ninth and scored the tying run. And if you look in the box score, next to Perez's name, it says P-R-D-H-2-B-P-2-B. And I just love that. He entered the game as a pinch runner in the ninth inning and ended up, the designated ended up being a designated hitter, the second baseman twice, and pitching two scoreless innings, mind you, uh, <laughs> before that game concluded uh, with a 2-1 to one Chattanooga win. There's also something poetic about, well, can you just read it to me again, just the rhythm of it? It was P-R-D-H. Yeah, it's almost like a sentence. Yeah. P-R-D-H-2-B-P-2-B. Yeah. It is. We can, we can all search and find meaning in that, I think, to somewhere. Be, well, we once we start our ASMR uh, spinoff podcast, <laughs> right. we'll just read box scores. And uh, Alex Perez, PR. ASMR shivers down my spine. Sam is literally shivering. (laughs) We probably have a market for that. I'd listen to an ASMR podcast. ASMR box scores. Let's start it up. Yeah, let's do it. Um, The promo seminar is next on the docket as well in the minor league calendar, and it comes up so quick after the end of the the season. But the promo seminar this year in Greenville, South Carolina, explain to people what goes on at the promo seminar. There's always such a – it's a melting pot of ideas. But for people who are outside of that world, what takes shape there and what is on the the ticket for this year? Yeah, this will be – I can't remember how many promo seminars I've attended, but quite a few – Basically, the, the, the premise of the promo seminar is idea sharing. Um, as we've talked about in many various forms on this podcast through the years, 
um, you know, minor league baseball is an industry in which the teams do not directly compete with one another because they're each in their separate markets. So therefore, there's an industry philosophy of sharing ideas with one another, uh, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats or whatever the uh, thing is. So, you know, when the season is still fresh in everyone's mind here in late September, uh, you know, you go to the host city this year, Greenville, South Carolina, home of the drive, and it's just three days of, uh, you know, big ballroom sessions, uh, breakout small group sessions, you know, cocktail hours and general socializing, a volunteer project, a uh, ballpark gala, and it's just a uh, sort of action-packed, uh, if by action you mean sitting and listening to people, but still, action-packed three days of just idea sharing, and so you know, a lot of the things that you will see on promo cal uh, calendars in 2018 very well may have come from ideas and idea sharing that happened in 2017. If one team had a good idea and it really clicks in here at the promo seminar, there's a good chance you're going to see it around uh, minor league baseball in the future. So, uh, you know, I, I don't attend that so much to cover it on a daily basis the way I used to. It is kind of a, it's an insider event. I don't mean an exclusive way, but I think a lot of the you know, the stuff is not that interesting to a general audience, but I will certainly write at least one recap article and try to interview people and talk to people who are at the seminar uh, who might have other interesting stories who I just happened to run into. And I'll give a presentation as well, which I've been doing the last five years, I believe, try to make some jokes. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big honor for me. I'm the closer. I speak in that main ballroom on the last day and uh, send people out with a smile on their faces because uh, I'm big time. Big time Ben's biz uh, closing out the promo center. Right. So give us a preview of what that that closing speech is going to be like. Not only are, are you giving it, we just found out you're going to be photographed. And yeah, Danny Wilde's going to be there. Wild, yeah. Our own Danny Wilde will be taking pictures of it. But um, what are you going to be telling the, those groups there about what you learned from 2017 and something you would like to be kind of put forth in, uh, in a more widespread area in 2018? I think, uh, well, here's an excerpt from my speech. P-R-D-H-T-B-P-2-B. <laughs> No, uh, the, the basic premise of my speech every year is the same. It's basically a recap of my travels, highlighting, yes, some funny and absurd things that are just fun to talk about, but also um, highlighting things I saw at ballparks that other teams might be able to adapt and uh, ideas they could steal, keeping with the general theme of the promo seminar. So uh, it, it's a very photo-heavy, very few text in my slides, but a lot of photos just kind of going chronologically through the season and riffing on uh, creative, unique, funny, absurd, strange, crazy, wild, wacky, wonderful things I saw. Can you, while you're there, just test the waters and see how an ASMR box score podcast would go over? That would really go a long way. It's a target market already that you're going to be in. Just see what people might think. Yeah, that's going to be my number one uh, item. Your top on my priority. Oh, yeah. Like Hunter and, uh, Green I'll is going to focus on pitching. Benjamin Hill is going to focus on an ASMR box score podcast. That's absolutely right. So I'll talk to you guys next week from Greenville, give an update on how the seminar is going, and uh, certainly an update on how this important project is going. <laughs> he is Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter. He's at Ben's Biz. The story from Reading is up, the on-the-road piece at MILB.com, and you can check out the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And uh, Ben, we'll talk to you from South Carolina. Enjoy. Hey, I look forward to it. It'll be a, a nice drive to get there. I just got it. I, I just got it. <laughs> I mean, better now than in like three hours where you're just like, oh. Oh, drive. Okay. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Nailed it. Right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we don't have any MILB.TV games to get to because everything is over. And I, I, meh, well, I don't know what happened here. But um, we've had some fun today. This has been we good. We did have some fun. No, Can we go for... now, Tyler? Whoa! Wait a minute. If you...
Yeah. Have you been on this? Uh, Wait, I've Kelsey's been, still here I've too? I've been needing to cough this whole time, but Sam has the microphone on. <laughs> Wait a minute. You guys have just sat around the whole rest of this episode since the first segment? Were you guys here for Ben? Ben was here. Josh, Josh just fell asleep that whole time. It's fine. I've been it's fine. hiding my gluten. I understand. That's weird that Ben didn't say hi to them. He said hi to me and you, Tyler. That's rude. Unbelievable, That's Ben. Rude. That's why I, I actually did know he was here. I just uh, chose not to acknowledge him. To he never said hi to you, so you didn't want to say hi to him. I get it. Right. That makes sense. This is how we I start was cold shouldering his cold shoulder. <laughs> Once again, a big thanks to Jake Bowers, the Tampa Bay Rays, Benjamin Hill of MILB.com, Kelsey Young of MILB.com, and Josh Jackson of MILB.com. For Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Mon. We're not going anywhere. We'll be right back with you next week. The Arizona Fall League getting started. We'll preview that, uh, and, and we'll talk to you in a week. So don't fear not. We're, we're not leaving you alone for the, the long, cold winter like Bart Giamatti would have you believe. We'll be right back here next week, and we'll talk to you then. Yeah.